getting it? Yep. Welcome to the Think Podcast. It is Worldview Wednesdays. My name is Joel. And I'm Pastor Rafe. And today we're talking about my favorite subject. Rafe, is this your favorite subject? Um, yes. I mean, there's nuances to the favorite subject question, sure. Joel. It's like asking what's my favorite, uh, you know, my favorite anything, favorite movie. You can't name one, but yes, it's up right. there. I mean, this is this is a hot topic that I'd like to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same here. And you know why I like this subject is because um, it's among among Christians, it's non-controversial, which right now sounds like something we could all use. Yeah. You know, it's like, but one of the things I want to get into is how the subject we're talking about today motivates us to have all of the other conversations that we love to have, need to have. It's like, why do we seek out these conversations? Oh, because of today's subject. Mm -hmm. and, um, and today we're talking about, do you have a passion for souls? So we should probably uh, define what that is. But first of all, man, how's it going down there in the South Loop? Oh, well, you gave me a good setup to talk about having a passion for souls in the South Loop. Uh, you know, down here, I'm looking out my window as you asked that question. I'm looking out at the streets of the South Loop, and I'm thinking, how's it going out there? <clears throat> I think it's the same as it is across the city right now. We are in divided times. We are in um, just uh, not only divided, but we're in uh, we're in a season where figuring out how to navigate the cultural moment in a way that is both so powerful and filled with the gospel of Jesus Christ, as well as compassionate and very aware and sensitive, and, and to do that all holistically as a church, um, man, I, it's a. This is exactly where I would want to be in the sense of like put me on the front lines. I enjoy being in a in a good place where you, you really have to work to talk about the gospel, but it's a lot of work right now. It's a lot of work in a good way for everybody. Uh, that's not just on the church for the for the whole country, for the city, for our neighborhood. And so, uh, from the South Loop's perspective, man, we're we're in it with everybody else. We're we're every day, one day at a time, and we just keep trying to um, speak as best and clear as we possibly can. How about you up on the north side? Uh, you know, dude, I love I love being up here. I love the northwest side. Um, Alisa and I get this. We actually went out to eat the other day like outdoors i'm assuming they were on a patio or something well originally yes but actually we went to one of these restaurants that has the big sliding front oh the yeah, window, yeah the yeah. big doors in front so they opened those up and they had very limited you know below capacity seating inside and um we were going to eat outside and then it started to pour down rain and actually we prayed um, we prayed, you know, Lord, please hold off the rain so we can eat our meal outside. And he didn't do it. In fact, it was like, it just goes to show you he's God, we're not. He doesn't do everything we say. Yeah. If you ask uh, in his name, Joel, I think is the way That's that, right. that sentence goes. That's right. Well, <clears throat> so uh, he didn't hold off the rain, but there was a table inside the restaurant that opened up. So we were able to eat inside, which is like the, i never knew how much i'd been longing to eat inside of a restaurant i know 
And it was, yeah. It was just Isn't so it weird, weird the little things you take for granted? I went into, uh, you know, my upstairs neighbors in our in the building that we own. It's a there's it's a two unit building, and uh, our upstairs neighbors, some of our best friends. And yesterday was the first time actually we've hung out a lot on the back deck. A lot, we've hung out a lot outside, um, but yesterday I actually went up in their house. And when I was up there, uh, they just said, "Isn't it weird being in someone else's house?" I'm like, "You're right. This is." This is one of the first times I've been in a friend's house in a long time because normally when you connect, you connect outside. Uh, so you take it for granted. Yeah, that's good, man. It, it it's, it's such a weird time because on the one hand, I want to feel like I can breathe a sigh of relief. On the other hand, the last week and a half have just shown us how much work we as the church need to do, especially in a city like Chicago. There is just so much gospel work to be done. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if, you, <clears throat> if you've seen this, but Chicago, you know, every major city is making headlines uh, in the last month. Uh, Chicago is making kind of double headlines. Um, and just a lot of what's happening here uh, in this city uh, is uh, it's big enough. The, the controversies are big enough. The conversations are big enough. The amount of people involved are big enough that it's actually kind of becoming the center of national attention. Um, and so in my mind, when I think of all the brokenness and darkness that's pervading right now in this moment, um, this is where light shines the greatest, right? Yeah. Take, a, take, the, take a flicker of light into a pitch black cave and you can see everything. It's all you need. You just need a flicker of light down there and, and you can light your way and find your way out. And so, uh, man, what a, what a joy to get to be <clears throat> here for such a time as this and to get yeah. to speak into it with the love and the light of Christ and the gospel. Dude, I'm smiling because I love what you're saying, but I'm also smiling because I don't know if you can see this comment, but so if you're listening on the podcast, you're missing the, the you sometimes miss the comments that come in. So I want to try to read this. Uh, Mark Zanders says, oh, hey, what, Mark. Is, what is this, a competition <laughs> to see who has more books behind them? Uh, you think I'm going to get on a, on a podcast video with Joel Sedicase and not angle the camera towards my library? Come on. <laughs> Listen, I've got mine set up like this for a reason. It's uh, it adds, I don't I don't know what it adds, but it adds it adds something. You know the worst thing about having a library is right, Joel. What's that? The worst thing is that you you slowly when you love a book you give it away because you're so excited about the book that you end up giving it to other people to read, right. and so slowly all the best books from your library shelf are gone. <laughs> you know something? Which is slowly what happens to my own library. All my best books are in other people's hands. I know, and the, the book that is, uh, that we're, where we got the title of this episode from, uh -huh. uh, the D.L. Moody biography, A Passion for Souls, um, you told me before we started recording that yeah, it that belongs, you don't have yours. It belongs, this is my... Uh, my history shelf, or at least yeah. kind of like one of my history shelves. It belongs right here. You see this slot? It's yeah. right next to the biography of George Mueller. It goes D.L. Moody, John Knox, George Mueller. And uh -huh. Moody's gone. Moody's gone. I don't well, know where he is, but he's gone. But well, it's okay because the book is in my heart. That's, that's good. See, me personally, I hide God's word in my heart, so it's, uh, you know... I just Sorry. do Christian literature. <laughs> some keep God's word in their heart. Some keep Christian literature in their heart. Well, I'm, a, I'm a Christian literature guy. You're a God's word. Yeah, you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other. Um, <laughs> but let me let me tell you, I do have my friend DL uh, next to me here. Uh, he's he's joining me in the in the study 
right now. So I do have my copy of Passion for Souls by Lyle Dorsett. And is this the same edition that you have? Uh, that looks like, yeah, same, it's same cover. I got the hard copy because uh, okay. hard cover is always better than soft cover, Joel. But it's- uh, well, I, I see that one 100%. <laughs> I actually got this because uh, it was a gift from one of our ministry partners. Mm. And he... Uh, it was it was when we were talking to him about the kind of work we were going to be doing with the Think Institute, with crew church movements, and he just loved every minute of it, was totally on board and said, I've got a book I want you to have, and yeah. went over to his library. And so he's now like you, He's he's got the missing space in his bookshelf, uh, and it's filling out my bookshelf nicely. But yeah. what do you think, man, why are we talking about a passion for souls? What, what does D.L. Moody have to do with that? And what's the Chicago connection there? Yeah, so maybe by entryway into the conversation, <clears throat> D.L. Moody is a historical figure. And if you don't know who he is, uh, there's a big church in the middle of Chicago called Moody Church and a big Bible school called uh, Moody Bible School, um, Moody Bible Institute, that uh, I went to the seminary there. <clears throat> and they do amazing work in the city. But the, the name Moody comes from D.L. Moody back in the early 1900s and the evangelistic work he did in the city of Chicago. Uh, one of the great, uh, I, I would categorize underneath revivals, uh, there's some great, great revivals, but a really wonderful revival took place under the preaching of D.L. Moody in Chicago. Uh, back around the time of the Chicago fire, tons of great stories uh, to go along with him. And that biography is a really important one. I like to... There was a season where I think I was giving that to people when they moved into the city of Chicago. To, you know, this, It's always good when you get into a new city to learn about the city and the history. Um, that's a good book to read. Just the bigger topic, D.L. Moody lived with an unbelievable passion for one thing. He wanted everybody he met, didn't matter how old they were, how young they were, where they lived, what their story was. He wanted them to get to know Jesus Christ. That was it. That was what he lived for. There's a great story, and I'm going to butcher it right now as I paraphrase the story, but there's a great story where D.L. Moody had a vision to share the gospel at least one time um, every day of his life. So he wanted to make sure he shared the gospel with one person every day. And uh, apologies, Joel, if you have the better words to put the story put the story out. But D.L. Moody just had this vision. He said, I want every day of my life, I want to make sure I tell somebody about Jesus. And uh, one day he was about to go to bed at night and he, uh, he realized he hadn't shared the gospel that day. And he walked outside down the streets of Chicago, found the first person he could and said, hey, do you know about Jesus? And the guy looked at him and said, that's none of your business. And the guy, and D.L. Moody said, actually, it is my business. And the guy said, well, then you must be D.L. Moody. <laughs> and, and the point of that story is, man, D.L. Moody lived with such a passion for souls that even the non-believing community in the city of Chicago knew that man stood for one thing. He wanted everyone to encounter the fathomless riches of the gospel of grace, as Paul says in the New Testament. And so that's what this is about. How do we, and for Worldview Wednesday, you know, the, t- the title of this Wednesday show we do, everything we do, whether we think about doing pastoral work, we think about doing evangelism or apologetics, it all starts out of a worldview rooted in the, the riches 
of, of Christ's inheritance, of the gospel that's been made known to us, and then the, the command and the mission to go and share that love with everybody that we come into contact with. It all comes down to here. And so I think it's just good to have a day where we, before we look at issues and we look at culture and we look at the division and all the other stuff going on, let's get back to the basics. How and why do we even do any of this? What are we just trying to talk about stuff? No, we want we have a passion for souls, like D.L. Moody did, and uh, so that's that's a bit of the heart of the conversation today. One of the things I love about Moody is he started out as a salesman. He was a shoe salesman, yeah, and moved to Chicago from Massachusetts, and it just saw all of the hope and the depravity of the big city at that time. Yeah. The city was so akin to the Wild West in those days. Um, you know, where you minister, Rafe, you told me about this. That's the former vice district of Chicago. Right. And so back in Moody's day, where your church is, there would have been brothels, there would have been probably, what, opium dens. It was, it was a rough place. It was a rough this was place. the spot where you got off the city from the train. So all the people making their way to Chicago in the early 1900s as things were developing, you got off. And if you wanted to get in trouble and you wanted to do something to no, no good in the city of Chicago, uh, you went pretty much on the corner outside my window where I am right here. So that's uh, the old vice district. Yeah. And another thing I really respect about Moody is this was a guy who knew how to speak into and serve into crisis situations in a way that would not make it about himself, mm. not not to put himself on a pedestal. Although the guy was a master of self-promotion, I will say that, um, because it was really about promoting Jesus. But he knew how to go into a crisis point and to view it as a decisive point mm -hmm. and to and to serve people where they were as they were hurting many times as they were dying to bring them the gospel of jesus christ as well as tangible needs that they had right. and i'm thinking of two examples you mentioned the chicago fire mm -hmm. but about six years seven eight years prior to that he ministered to soldiers union soldiers yeah. during the civil war another mile down the street and it's just in bronzeville where that old prisoner of war camp is it's an amazing story incredible is that right it's right there in Bronzeville. yeah there's there's a small plaque on the sidewalk if you look for it that that commemorates the the camp that was there where he served and ministered to people's needs and uh, saw many many that was his first cut of evangelistic work was ministering to uh soldiers who are dying so wow that's that's amazing man and you know you can look at a guy like moody and he just he just seems like such a giant such such a um you know kind of a once once in christendom kind of guy you know um but even though there's a school named after him today moody if you actually study his biography he was a normal guy yeah there was nothing special about his upbringing. In fact, his upbringing was kind of rough. Yeah. He was, you were saying something to me about his education. D.L. You know, Moody, I think, I don't know, I'm pretty sure he had a, about a third grade education at the time. Uh, he always considered his education to be a weakness of his. And it's just amazing how God works through our weaknesses, which is exactly what the, the scriptures promise, right? 
Uh, in my weakness, he has made great. Uh, his power is made known. And so uh, D.L. Moody had a third grade education. If, if, if there's a great, uh, at the Moody Bible Institute, there's an actual audio recording where you can listen to him preaching. Um, and it's funny, he's got a very high-pitched voice. Uh, so you think about a preacher, not that you can't be a great preacher with a high-pitched voice. You just, you know, you, you, it's not necessarily, it, it's kind of one of those voices where you first hear it and you go, oh, that's pretty high-pitched. Uh, and yet, the Lord used him tremendously. I mean, he, he was preaching to thousands. There's stories where he would, he'd be going downtown Chicago and see a crowd gathering, and he'd lean over to his buddy and say, hey, there's an auditorium right there. Go rent it. Let's open the doors and preach the gospel. And the whole crowd, this is, this is how God works. When the word of God begins to get preached and people begin to share the gospel, the Holy Spirit's out, outside working in ways you can't see. And somehow, D.L. Moody would open the doors, and the Holy Spirit would bring every person into the room. And they'd sit and they'd wait for the gospel. And then he'd share the gospel. And, uh, and his is just one story after another of just watching God save many, many people from, uh, from their sin. And it really an incredible life lived. You know, I remember this was like probably three or four years ago. We were on a, a retreat, a pastor's retreat with Park. And I remember you said something to me about Moody. I don't know. I, I don't know why we were talking about Moody, but well, you brought him up. Something reminded you of, of Moody, and you're like, this is what Moody, D.L. Moody used to do. He'd go to a, uh, a, a gathering, uh, whatever. I mean, almost like a dinner party kind of thing, but you can imagine a pastor's conference or something. Mm. And he would just say, he would open up his Bible and go, what do you think this verse means? Yeah. What is, what is the meaning of this? And on the one hand, you see the humility of that, because a guy like Moody asking other people, what does this mean? What I'm confused by this. Moody is not supposed to be asking those questions. He's supposed right. to be the guy with the answers. Right. And But then you also see on the flip side, here's a guy with limited education. His education is coming from the, the rough and tumble world of everyday discourse. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like uh, somebody asked Malcolm X one time, where he went to school and he said books <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was deal moody and, and one of the things that, that's a mark of humility and it's something that pastors and i have to remind myself all the time to never lose that spirit of deal moody and that's something that 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 story sticks with me as it, it sounds like it stuck with you because i think it's very easy once you get into the space where you're preaching regularly or teaching uh to assume that you know the bible better than you do and man, oh man, God's placed the spirit of God in every single follower of Christ and everyone's got something to teach each other. And so I love that part of D.L. Moody. People would just say, he's asking that question. Like, do you, are you honestly asking me the question? He's like, no, I genuinely was reading my Bible. I don't know what this verse means. Can you please tell me? And uh, he, he just sparked great conversation everywhere he went. So what I, what I love to see is the, the same spirit that Moody had. And I know he's, he's a unique guy, but we're talking about this passion for souls that he had. And the incredible thing is the same Holy Spirit that was in Moody is in every believer. So if that's true, what we ought to see is the same kind of activity happening in different crises and um, decisive points in our history today. I mean, we've got no small share of crises going on right now. Mm -hmm. And I, Rafe, I don't know if you saw this, but I want to share something with you that I just saw on Facebook, like, I don't know, an hour ago. It's 
and I, I believe I shared it, but in Minneapolis, at the spot where George, George Floyd was killed, there, uh, which is ground zero for national attention, even global mm -hmm. attention right now, mm -hmm. there is a stage set up and there is a revival meeting happening at that spot right now. Wow, I did there's not know a, that. There's an African-American preacher up there and he is preaching the gospel, man. And, I'm, and, and not only that, Rafe, he's preaching the gospel and they've got a baptismal tank set up and people are getting baptized. And the, the preacher is, he's saying baptism, a lot of people think baptism will make you right with God. No, only Jesus can make you right with God. It's the gospel that saves. Wow. Baptism is an outward sign of that. And he's, he's talking about how Jesus died for everyone. He's talk, he's inviting people to trust in Jesus. Rafe, this is happening. I, mean, I had not heard of that. That's incredible. Isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. Talk about a passion for souls. and But this is happening now. It's the same Holy Spirit that ministered through D.L. Moody in the Civil War, during the Chicago Fire, and now in the aftermath of this tragedy. When yeah. everyone's attention is on Minneapolis, the Holy Spirit sends, sends these guys out to, to say, hey, go preach my gospel. I've got some people in this city that I want to save. You wow. know? It's incredible. Yeah, I mean, and what's really amazing is it's the same Holy Spirit that was working through Paul, same Holy Spirit that was working through Peter. You go back, it was the same Holy Spirit that was that was working to Abraham, right? I mean, that, it's that's this is this is the same God, uh, and He is unchanging, and He continues to move and establish His church. Yeah, I think the topic of um, having a passion for souls. One of the reasons I think it's important for us today is. Christians have a unique commissioning from God in the Bible, the Great Commission to go. Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So he begins with the authority has been given to him. So he has all authority, whether or not we grant him authority. He already has it. It's not ours to give to him. He already has it. So all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go make disciples of all nations. So there's our marching orders. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Remember, I'm with you always. Our commissioning <clears throat> to make uh, Jesus known, that's the, um, it's not just to make him known, but it's to work through the church by the power of the Spirit to establish his kingdom wherever we go. <clears throat> and one of the challenges that I have just been wrestling with, I've written about this in the last week, and I feel like it's good for every Christian to wrestle with, is do I have a passion for souls? Do like it is that something I heard DL Moody has? Is that something my pastor has? Or is that something I have? Like like me, you, the person listening, do you live out of a biblical worldview? Not that says legalistically, Jesus told you to go make disciples, so you better do it. But my passion is to share the love of Christ with people. I want them to know the love of Christ because of what he's done in my life. And then that gives two two different questions. If the answer to that question is not really, which might be the answer for a lot of folks, if they're being honest, why is that? I, that's the that's the first side of the question. Why is it that so many folks in the modern Western church have so little passion about the things of Jesus and the things Jesus is passionate for? Is it a lack of clear teaching? 
is it what is it that's taken place? And I think each person listening, uh, and I, I hope the Holy Spirit works in some ways through this, just to bring conviction to folks who maybe live without that kind of passion. Because what our world needs most in a divided world that we have right now, that is only increasingly dividing, um, we need the unifying power of the gospel. We need people with a passion to get Jesus known and to share his love with our words, with our actions, and all that good stuff. And so the first question I have is, if we're going to actually live with a biblical worldview, it's, it's one thing to listen to a podcast about it. It's another thing to say, do I have a passion for souls? And if not, why not? And then beg the Lord to give you one. And so that's kind of my first, uh, my first segue into some of the reasoning for why this is so important. And I do want people to wrestle with that. Yeah, and an important realization here is that this is something that God actually cares about. Mm-hmm. God wants us to make disciples. God loves people. God loves your neighbors. God loves your family members. And when we are evangelizing, which of course is the Christianese word for getting the good word out, getting the good news out, God is actually speaking through us insofar as we're speaking what's biblical and what's, what's, you know, true. So second Corinthians 520 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled Mm. to God. So God is appealing through me. I'm appealing to you on behalf of Christ. And the whole thing is I want you to be reconciled to God. I want you to experience the comfort, the, the stability, the relief of knowing the God who made you and not only the God who made you, but the God who has been giving you grace your whole life without you knowing who's been pumping the air in and out of your lungs, the blood throughout your body, the God who is sustaining your life, giving you good things and working in you to get your attention so that you can be reconciled to him. And the greatest demonstration of that love is that while we were yet sinners, the Bible says Christ died for us. Right. It's, it's a message people need to hear. Yeah. And I think, you know, for you and I, Joel, one of the things that I know and your whole show, the thing, I mean, the think Institute, what the, you know, I don't want to speak on behalf of the Think Institute, but I know your heart and I know what you're trying to do through this. And a lot of it is rooted in the work of apologetics and evangelism. Uh, it's both equipping, it's uh, preparing Christians to uh, be able to do this effectively so that their mind is thinking biblically and uh, they feel equipped when they go out. And that is so important, right? I mean, some of this is a confidence thing. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a Holy Spirit thing. But the more the more you talk to people, you realize, man, a little equipping goes a long ways. <laughs> like if I knew how to have a conversation, that would be helpful. And so the work you're doing is so critical. Um, and another piece of it is to actually engage and to create space to engage with folks from different worldviews, different opinions. I know I think you were doing an interview yesterday uh, with an atheist uh, and just listening to him and, and hearing his worldview out and, and challenging him on his worldview and allowing him to challenge you on your worldview. And the more Christians... And and here's the thing, when we as Christians live with a passion for souls, one of the natural outputs of of having an actual passion is you are going to step into um, 
tense conversations. So, for example, uh, this week I'm preaching on uh, the end of the Beatitudes. So the last Beatitude, Jesus builds all these Beatitudes in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the peacemakers. And you go through all these, and they're all powerful. Everyone you find in Jesus himself. It's basically, blessed are you if you live like me, says Jesus. That's, that's what it is. You know what the last one is? Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Now, why? It's this fascinating moment, right? I'm giving away my sermon here. It's this fascinating moment where he's been building and every beatitude builds on top of itself. It's this, it's this structure where each beam is laid, and it's being laid, being laid, being laid. And as a listener, you'd I kind never of expect. That. You, well, it is. So, okay, cool. that's a whole. Yeah, so it's a no, cool. That's, piece that's good. That's very cool. I got, I got that sense from Dan's. Sorry to interrupt you on this. No, you're good. But um, from Dan's last sermon this past Sunday up at the Forest Glen location. I, I finally started to see how the whole thing is progressive. I never saw that before. It's amazing. So it was one of these yeah. moments. It was very cool. Yeah, it's amazing, right? It's, it begins with blessed are the poor in spirit, essentially those who recognize their total depravity. That's poor in spirit, Isaiah chapter 6. And then it gets to blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. Most of us would say, wait a second, if you're going to end on something, come on, give us, give us like a, you know, give us like a real religious statement blessed are you when you live a virtuous life like you're going to summarize the whole thing right blessed are you when you take care of your neighbors really well right. now wait a second it's not what he says the, the last statement where it's all building is blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake and what he's getting at is that and then, let me actually read the next verse because i think that's really important uh matthew 5 the next verse are, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here's my point. Here's my point. If Christians are going to stand on the biblical worldview, if we're going to literally look at this thing and live with the passion, and our passion is, I love that person so much that I'm going to stand on the riches of the grace of this book, and I'm going to try with all my strength and the power of the Holy Spirit to love them and, and speak to them into the kingdom of God. It will require you to take exclusive claims on the worldview of this. And today, in a very uh, on a lot of issues, we're still a very relativistic culture. We're still very postmodern in a lot of ways, although we've moved past that in some areas. Mm -hmm. We're very relativistic. When a Christian steps in and says, no, 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 no. God is not just any God. It's not worship Baal and Jesus at the same time. It's not worship Allah and Jesus at the same time. It's Jesus is worthy of your worship alone. And until you know that, Jesus is their salvation and know their name. That, to take that, in some respects, will cause a lot of folks to revile you, to utter all kinds of curses upon you. And that's been the history of the world. Jesus says, so they did to my prophets before me. And he says, blessed are you when you speak with that kind of clarity, not to cause problems, mm -hmm. but out of a place of I love you and I'm trying to win you into the kingdom. Um, and I think that's important for us as we think about worldview and for your listeners as well. Yeah. And, you know, you get to this point where you start to realize 
okay, if the Bible's actually true, then everyone I know, everyone I interact with is going to live forever. Mm. C.S. Lewis says, you've never met a mere mortal. Mm -hmm. And I love that quote because it, it, it speaks to the reality that although our bodily, physical, embodied life will end, we are not just bodies. We, there, is, there is a soul, depending on your view, there's a soul and a spirit, but there's at least a soul that is within your body, who is the essence of who you are. And when the physical life ends, that soul, that spirit is going to continue to live on. And at the moment of death, the, the, the time for decision making is over. Mm. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Mm -hmm. What that means is when someone passes from this life, there is no opportunity to make a decision. Do I want to spend eternity with God or do I want to spend eternity under God's wrath? Do I want to spend eternity um, loving God or am I going to go down to the grave shaking my fist in rebellion against God? Mm -hmm. the, the, the stark reality that we come to face is that our interactions with people can actually have eternal consequences, not just in some abstract way like what we do now echoes in eternity, but eternal consequences for the very people we're interacting with. And that means some of the people who, who some of the people we know and love, if we don't share with them, if we don't share the good news about Jesus with them, they could very well die unexpectedly. They could pass in, pass that veil and they could go into an eternity under God's condemnation. And we didn't do anything to try and stop that. Mm. Another stark reality here too, Rafe, and this, this I think can immensely help us when we are reviled, spoken evil of, slandered, is this, some of the very people who are slandering us today God is going to change their hearts and they're going to become our biggest allies in the future. Mm. And we see that with the apostle Paul. Yeah. We, we see that, um, we see that in scripture. And I know many of us can point to those real life stories, you know, in, in our own experience. And so myself being one of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, what, what do you mean by that? Well, I was 17 years old when I came to know Lord Jesus, I was, it was, uh, I was, uh, I, I would have classified myself as the as a total skeptic. Uh, I would probably wouldn't have had the that kind of terminology to think of myself. But uh, I remember back in high school, I knew I knew there were these people that were Christians. I remember I remember one day I met a guy in my class. And we were going around asking what you wanted to be when you grew up, and one guy said a pastor. And I just remember thinking like, really? <laughs> what a what a bizarre human being. Yeah. Uh, so I was the least likely. Uh, to um, fall on my knees before a holy God, but the Lord got a hold of me in the midst of my rebellion, uh, just as he did for Paul. Praise God, I, I didn't go quite as far in my rebellion as Paul did in terms of murdering people, uh, but uh, certainly I was running very far away from him very fast. Yeah. Incredible, man. Wow, that's, that's, um, that's very inspiring, and it's good to hear that. It's good to hear that, Rafe, because people, I think, will look at you and they'll say, well, Rafe's a pastor. He's probably 
brought up in the church, probably brought up to be a Christian and, and never has known anything different. But that's not the case. Yeah. His passion for souls didn't just happen kind of automatically based on your upbringing. This is something that God has has created or recreated in your life as you've been recreated. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, as a, you know, as a pastor, when I, when I think of how to, how does this get developed in a person and I, I don't want to claim like I have this uh, huge passion for souls. Like here, I'm the example. No, we looked at scriptures and, and Jesus of course is the one who has the greatest passion for souls. I mean, you look at the man and the way he lived and all of us should be attempting to model our life after his as best as we possibly can. That's what the Holy spirit does. It makes you more like Christ. The if you're listening to this and you're saying, "Man, I, I want to, I, I want to, I want to develop a passion like that," there's there's a few easy ways to do this. Honestly, it, it, it's not overly complicated. There's not a secret sauce. Ready? Number one, fall more in love with Christ in a very real way. I don't mean that mushy gushy. The way you do it is is start with your Bible open. <laughs> it's the Word of God, and it's the regular intake of God's Word. When you pray over it, and you're allowing God's Word to shape you, and you're allowing it to not just be a checklist, but to really ask the hard questions and see where your worldview is different than this, it, it over a, a time, the constant rhythm of what you're putting into your mind and your heart, it, it causes you to slowly just look at God in, in adoration, in worship. It changes you. Uh, and the other thing too is put people in your life who have a passion for souls. Joel, you know, when I think of you, I mean, when I, one of the reasons I love hanging out with you and talking to you is because when I leave hanging out with you and talking with you, I want to, I want to tell people about Jesus. I want to be a better apologist. I want to be a better evangelist. I want to, I want to love Jesus. When I watch the way you lead your family, Joel, I'm not just t touting you right now, but I'm going to. For no, no, this is good. Keep this it coming. Good. Believe me. Coming. My, my ego is, I'm yeah. not going to be able to fit Let up. give you a big head. Yeah. But this is important for everybody, right? And Joel, you're one of these guys in my life. When I see the way uh, you have worked through trial in your life, the faith you have, the way you lead your family, man, I go home and I think, I want to be like that. I want to have that kind of faith. I, and so, and but I think that's what it, I think that's one of the reasons, right? Daniel had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He had these guys around him. And I think Christians sometimes, when you don't have anybody around you who truly is someone you know, you care about, and you can look to them and say, I want, I want, I want some of that in, in me, uh, it's hard to muster that up on yourself. I think God gives us each other for a reason. Da just like you know, David and Jonathan, <laughs> he, he gives these friendships and relationships to stir one another on to loving good works. And so open your Bibles, pray, and put, your, put yourself around some people who have a true passion in them and, and watch what the Holy Spirit does in you. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I was just recently studying Acts 16 through 18. And one of the things that really, two things really struck me. Acts 16 through 18, for a little bit of context, is Paul's second missionary journey. He went on three. This is number two. And in this journey... You, you figure, look, this is the Apostle Paul, a uh, brilliant communicator, bold as a lion, super effective strategist. What's going to stop this guy? Well, you, you trace the story as he goes from Antioch and Philippi and Ephesus and, and um, Thessalonica, all these different ancient cities. Pretty much everywhere he went, he faced brutal opposition. I mean, 
ridiculous. I mean, from from legal trials where people were dragging him into court to straight up mob violence. Yeah. At, at one point, a mob uh, attacked, stormed the house of his friend Jason because Jason was, you know, hiring uh, or, or housing Paul and and his compatriots. And it's like, okay, I'm starting to see something here. Paul persevered in spite of all of the trials. Be- the trials helped actually to galvanize his his faith. Yeah. Um, and, and yet at the same time, there's these subtle hints in this passage where it talks about, um, you know, there's these little phrases that'll say the church is strengthened in faith or mm-hmm. all all the disciples were greatly encouraged and things like this. And there's these little hints that are dropped if you read the passage. And it's the church was rallying together. Christians were rallying together. And I love these chapters because you've got Jews and Gentiles together, multiple ethnicities, strengthening each other and basically saying, look, we all are in this together. We are facing adversity um, the adversity lets us know we're on the right path. Not that every time you, you know, sometimes you face adversity because you're being a bonehead, but, mm-hmm. but these guys were preaching the gospel and they were facing adversity and they strengthened each other. And that mutual strengthening sparked and, and fanned into flame their mutual passion for souls. Mm-hmm. So these churches were encouraged and it says not only were they where they strengthened, but they grew. The churches grew through this adversity because they strengthened each other. Yeah. And I, I got to share one more D.L. Moody story. Do you know the one I'm going to, do you know the coal, the one about the coal and the fireplace? No, tell me. So one day D.L. Moody was paying a pastoral visit to a member of the church who hadn't been to church and had sort of given up on church. And let me just say right now, uh, I think we've all gotten to that point where it's like, you know what? My life would be a lot easier if I were done with the church for a while. Well, this guy hadn't been going to Sunday gatherings and uh, Moody goes over and he visits him. And they sit down and Moody doesn't say much at all, which, you know, Moody's a talker. He's, he's, a, he's an extrovert. And, but they don't say much at all. And he, Moody just listens. And the man tells him, look, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. Why do I have to go to church? I don't need to go to church. I don't get anything out of it. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the essence of what he said. Moody, in his genius, doesn't say a word. He gets up from the chair, walks over to the stove. They had a a potbelly stove heating the house. Uh He takes the tongs from next to the stove, reaches in with the tongs and plucks a a white hot red hot coal out of the fire and sets it on the lip of the door of the stove out of the fire and then goes and sits back down and over the next several minutes moody and this man in silence watch that red hot coal go from red hot to darker oh it's brilliant to black oh and, man and, and cool. poetry and the guy turns to moody and all he says is three words oh I see. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's brilliant. I like that story. I'm gonna have to use that one. I like that a lot. I could have used that last week in a talk I gave. 
yeah, that's good. We need each other. We really do. We fan each other's passion for souls. Yeah. So the, if I go back just a little bit and I think of this conversation and why this is important, and I know this maybe seems like a generic conversation in some regards, like, yeah, we know this, but actually this is the root of worldview. This is the root of evangelism. This is the root of apologetics. If we're going to engage the world around us and we're going to speak from a biblical worldview and we're going to speak into situations and culture and we're going to speak into every sphere of society, we've got to have a gospel-centric lens by which we see the world. We have to see souls the way God sees souls. We have to see issues the way God sees issues. We have to know our role and we have to know the voice that God's given us. And we have to speak with clarity. And the thing about when you speak into any issue Whatever it is, is, you know, some people are going to be happy. Some people are going to be upset. The Christian can't live by who's happy or who's upset. Man, that's, a, that's an exhausting place to be as a non-Christian. I mean, you know, every, that's not just a Christian thing. Humans, if, if, you're, if you're basing your life on who's happy and who's upset with what you say, well, that's going to be an exhausting way to go through life. But, but if you stand in confidence on the words of Christ, then you find your identity in Christ, and then you as a Christian can go out there and speak into situations, and whether or not people think you're coming at it from the right angle, it's okay, because you're standing on the Word of God, and you've got one guy you're giving an account to, and he's already said he's fully pleased in you because of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that's, when I think of mobilizing the church right now, you know, I I don't want to dig too deep into this particular topic, but I think this is a good example of this. Um, when I think of a number of, like, for example, the signs that I've seen right now around uh, the protests that are taking place, I'm not, I'm not stereotyping typing all the protests together uh, by any means. But, you know, you can pick out a handful of signs here or there, and you can, you can pick, pick on them. Some of the messages that I, I see read on the signs, I, I as a Christian can come alongside and say, you know what, like, you might not even know it, but that's a Christian thing you're saying. Like, like the, the reason you're holding up that sign is because it's rooted in the reality that God has spoken that to be a, a virtue. And so I don't know if you're a Christian or not. <laughs> if you're not, I want you to know the foundation you're actually standing on is the biblical worldview, even if you don't know it. And I can celebrate that. Even if you're not sure yet, I'm going to be right alongside you. I'll try to point you to, towards Jesus in the process. But you and I can speak the same language. Some folks are holding up signs that are the antithesis of the gospel, but they're celebrated messages right now. It's, it's kind of, there's a number of messages that are floating in the marketplace of the, the, you know, the marketplace of ideas right now that are solutions, eh, you might be able to throw that word out, or ideas or commentary that frankly is just very detached from the biblical worldview. What do we do as Christians with, with all these ideas that are coming in? How do we navigate them? A lot of the, a lot of the, if you just took the posters at a protest right now and you just tried to form a cohesive unit of thought, you would be in conflict with each other. They, they conflict with each other. So not just Christians, everyone has to figure out what do I take in, what do I not take in, and what's my standard for making that determination? Well, the Christian starts with the Word of God. And we build our worldview up and then we look out at the messaging and we say, okay, okay, okay. First of all, what does the Bible say about this? How do I build my worldview up? What messages can I come alongside and affirm from the foundation of scripture? And what messages can I just with clarity, even though I'm going to get persecution for saying it, say, I can't affirm that. That one's wrong. 
and I know you don't know it's wrong, and I know you think it sounds right, but the Bible says it's wrong. And that's where I want Christians to be equipped for right now. And that's why when I say having a passion for souls, I want people to know the biblical worldview works. Yeah. And I want them to speak the gospel with clarity, especially right now. You know, what you just described, that's Acts 17. Paul yes. the Apostle. In Athens. He goes to Athens, and as he's touring around the city, his heart is grieved within him at all of the idols. And what he does is he fixates on... If I can use that word, he, he chooses one of the idols, and when he's given a platform, which doesn't always happen, but it did happen in Paul's case, he's given this platform to address it, and he says, men of Athens, I can see that you're very religious. And we know that word could be pious, which is a good thing, or it could be superstitious, which is, they wouldn't have liked that. But he says, here's how I know you're religious. I saw a shrine to an unknown God. In other words, you guys have all these idols, but you recognize even with all these idols, you don't have a complete system here. You're still lacking something. And there's a, there's a lack of cohesion in the system that you have. What you worship in ignorance, I'm going to fill in the gap for you. I'm going to tell you who this unknown God is. And Paul goes into this the situation where there's all these different conflicting competing messages just like what you were talking about and he goes in singularly focused on conveying the gospel the good news about jesus to his audience in a way not only that they can understand but in a way that they can't refute mm -hmm. because here's what you believe you've already st stated that you believe it and i love when he starts quoting um I don't know if it's Epimenides, he starts quoting their philosophers mm -hmm. and he says, look, according to you, we come from God. We are God's offspring. Well, these, here's kind of my analysis of his argument, Rafe. We come from God. We're lower than God. These idols come from us. So we know that the God up there can't be made by human hands. We come from him, uh -huh. but these idols are made by human hands. Therefore, there's a disconnect between what you're worshiping now and who you should be worshiping. Let me tell you about the one that made you. In him, we live and move and have our being. Now you could take that to any situation, you have to contextualize it, but what you can say is something like this. You recognize a need for equality, justice, fairness, love, peace, okay. But you have to also recognize what you're calling for is something that's above us. Mm -hmm. Our man-made solutions are necessarily lower than us. We're creating them. Right. So our solution can't, our man-made human crafted solution can't be the ultimate standard. Let me tell you about the ultimate standard. Let me tell you about the one who made you with this desire, not just for peace and love by our own standards, but the one who is love, the blazing torch of love that shines through the whole universe, that, you know, whose love is reflected in every loving relationship on earth that's authentically loving. Let me tell you about the ultimate example of that love, because he sent his son out of love for sinners like you and me. And right. I want to, I want to introduce you to him now. I mean, it's, it's Acts 17 and we can, because we have God's truth, and we're made in the image of God, and God is sovereign over all these situations, we can, with a passion for souls, not to judge and condemn,
but we can go out and we can offer that hope and that love to anybody in any situation. Acts 17 is a brilliant chapter, and you summarize the theology of Paul's argument well. There's a whole other half to that, which is brilliant. And it's, uh, it, it's, it's Paul's worldview analysis pre-work. So Paul, think about this for a moment. Paul goes into this city. It's the, it's the scholarly city, right? I mean, it's like, uh, it's the equivalent of him, you know, if he were in Chicago, of going down to Hyde Park where UFC is. Right, it's walking into the the academic kind of stronghold of the city, and and he walks around and and unlike what I think a lot of the Christian approach oftentimes is today, he doesn't cover his eyes from all the all, everything in culture. Like he doesn't walk around like with blinders on, saying I can't look here, can't look here. He examines the culture around him. He spots. So look, there's a there's a bunch of statues. There's an idol. There's an idol. There's an idol. What's this idol over here? And he, he discovers an idol, and then he looks around and he says, Where are people having conversations? In other words, where can I be most effective as an evangelist and apologist? Where Here's Athens. Where can I insert myself with the giftings I have, Paul the Apostle, with the knowledge I now have about these people? This is worldview analysis. This is just basic worldview analysis. I get how they see the world. How can I insert myself in a way that delivers just a, just a, a knockout blow to them? And so he goes to the Areopagus. He goes to the place where they were having all the conversation, and he works essentially, in some ways, on their turf. Right? He was basically invited in uh, to do what they always did—to hear new speakers, new thought, new philosophers—and he was one of many that would have come up there. But he inserted himself in and said, "Let me tell you what I've seen based on my worldview analysis," and then he delivers the gospel. Now, Worldview Wednesdays, Joel, this is like our thing. This is what we do. This is literally the point of the show. The point of the show is to be like Paul and to walk around with eyes open like this and, and discover every idol, every single one. There's one, there's one, there's one, there's one. And then to talk about it, to equip Christians to be able to spot idols and to be able to talk about those idols in a way that's compelling, that's cohesive, that's intelligent with the non-believers who are believing in those idols. Mm -hmm. Literally, this show is designed, <laughs> and what we're trying to do, designed to do the pre-work, which Paul did when he first went into Athens, and yeah. to assist believers in that. Yeah. Come on. Let's go. <laughs> we, we need this, man. And so, practical next steps. How does somebody go from this podcast? And let's talk, look, we're in Chicago. I'm on the north side. You're on the south side. What are some practical things? maybe three practical things and we didn't script this out i don't know if there are three practical things but what are some things that somebody who's listening right now can go do to say i want to i want to put my passion for souls into practice i want to start winning souls hmm. what are some practical steps rafe well, they could subscribe to the Think Institute podcast. No, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what are some next steps? Well, before you have a passion for souls, you got to have an actual passion for Jesus, yeah. and you you got to know of Christ. And so, uh, you know, it it doesn't work. You, you can't buy it, right? You think of Simon the magician in the New Testament, where he is a Simon the magician, where he, he looks over to the the apostle Peter after mm -hmm. he discovers the power that is given to Peter when he lays his hands on people. And Simon basically says, "How do, can I buy that?" <laughs> like that's why buying church offices is still called simony. 
right you know, using using money to try to buy influence yeah right and so this is not something that you can like paste on you know you can't buy it you, you got to love christ and you you've got to be in a, a real relationship with the lord like you know the, the passage that should i don't want to say it should haunt because it's not intended to haunt it's supposed to be a, a fair warning uh to, even to ministers and to pastors as well where jesus says that there's a whole bunch of people going to do a whole bunch of work in his name and then they're going to get to the gate to heaven. They're going to look Jesus in the eye and he's going to say, get away from me, depart from me. I never knew you. And before we talk about doing anything and worldview and all that stuff, it starts with knowing Christ, with savoring him, with truly rejoicing in him, not as a, you know, a, a, a knickknack on a Sunday morning or some like footnote in your life. But actually, he's the water you live in. He, 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 it's him. You, you've turned from your life. You trusted in him. And you're rejoicing in him and everyone's on every christian is on a journey of developing that but i want to make sure before you jump to any other solution any other do this or do that you start with if it's not rooted and founded in a genuine relationship with the lord where you where you're growing in your walk with him it's all going to be fake stuff you can be the smartest guy in the world you can win debates all day long for jesus but you don't want to get to the end of the road and say and hear jesus say depart from me that would be the worst thing possible so yeah. you got to have a relationship with him yeah, that's where good. I start. Joel, what about you? That's good, man. That's good. I think another thing, you know, you said it earlier, Paul didn't cover his eyes to the culture that was going on around him. He also didn't jump into the worship of false gods. He didn't adopt any of their ways of thinking. Mm. And so as, as we need, you know, one of the symbols of Christianity going back to the earliest days of the church is a fish. We've got to be like good fish, good salmon who swim upstream. Okay. Hear me on this because the culture can be going one way. We've got to know how to navigate the flow, not to always be setting up ourselves in opposition to the people around us. That's not it, but we've got to know where we're headed and we've got to be prepared to be able to head in the right direction. Even if everyone around us is heading in the opposite direction. So what I'm going to call this, I'm going to say, we need to develop a thick skin. You want to know how you develop a thick skin? Two ways. One, read scripture, read Acts 16 through 18 and see what they went through. And then ask the Lord, Lord, would you prepare me to deal with any opposition that might come my way. Give me, pray with Paul in Ephesians 6 that, that you would have boldness to speak the gospel as you ought to. And again, not to be controversial for the sake of being controversial, but because the gospel is controversial. But you know what? When you put the gospel out there, like Paul did in Acts 17, some are gonna mock, some are going to inquire and they, they're going to say they want to hear more. Mm. And some are going to rejoice and believe. Right. And, and what we're doing is, you know, let's take the metaphor out of the water. We got to be good fish, but we also have to be good fishers of men. Right. right? So we got to develop a thick skin and we've got to be ready for opposition. I think we get yeah. that through reading scripture and now being willing to have those tough conversations. And Rave, I'm going to say this from personal experience. Sometimes that means you put your foot in your mouth. <laughs> it's going to happen. So we need to. Be I've never done that, Joel. <laughs> do we do it every Wednesday? <laughs> like, <laughs> like oh, at least I do. 
And we're imperfect. Very Man, imperfect. If you're gonna if you're gonna say anything in this life, we're saying you're, at some point you're gonna make a mistake, and that's okay. That's why we the Christian Christians give each other grace on this stuff. We gotta yeah. tame our tongue. You yeah. gotta watch your tongue. You gotta have yeah. control of your tongue, and don't let your tongue be the thing that brings you down. Of course, yeah. that's a Christian virtue. We're gonna do that well, but we're that's also right. imperfect. We're imperfect, and we don't fear man, and we don't fear cancel culture. Right. We don't. We don't. We don't get down with all that stuff. We extend each other grace. We speak with grace. We speak the truth in love, yeah. and part of that just comes from. Um, let me say a, a third practical takeaway. It it all comes down to the local church. Mm-hmm. Within the local church, we need to cultivate, and this is hard during lockdown, but we need to cult, which is still going on. Believe it or not, we need to cultivate a an environment of grace and compassion and forgiveness. And sometimes that's going to mean lovingly confronting a brother or a sister in Christ and saying, look, I think you're, you're off base here. Sometimes it's going to mean taking the L, biting the bullet and saying, hey, I offended you. I don't even see how what I said was wrong, but I want you to know I value you more than the feeling that I need to be right. And now let's both go to God's word together and develop that thick skin together so that arm in arm, we can march out into the world with a passion for souls because passion for souls begins within the church. Mm-hmm. Passion for souls begins with a passionate care for my brothers and my sisters in Christ. We're not always going to see eye to eye on, on every issue, but if we're gospel centric, man, that love of Christ and that love for our brothers and sisters is going to cover a multitude of sins. And so we need to cultivate that in our churches. Um, Rafe, what's one thing practically that we can do stepping out into the world as a church? I mean, do you have anything in mind? I'm not trying to lead you with a leading question, but what is something I know that you think well about that sort of thing? What's in, once the foundation is laid personally, biblically, ecclesiologically, how do we step out into the world and say, I want to put my, my passion for souls into action in Chicago or elsewhere? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, the answer to that question is, is, is so broad. There's so many different lanes of what it means to live a passionate uh, soul winning <laughs> life. On the one hand, you know, there's the the liver on the menu, which is cold turkey evangelism, which no one likes to do, which I don't understand. I don't understand why no one likes to do this. It's To me, it's one of the most fun parts of my week is when I get to go out and share the gospel. And there's a secret to it. Uh, one of the secrets you learn about evangelism real quick is that so often, especially when you're outside doing evangelism and talking to people about Jesus, the person you're evangelizing is actually not the person that God's doing the great work on. Oftentimes, it's those who are listening in. I'll have so many conversations with someone where I'm doing the interview and like two buddies are like, they have their heads down, but they're listening in and you watch their eyes like, and then at the end they'll jump in with a thought or the, and, and so, totally. so often what's happening is just like the Areopagus in Acts 17, you're having a conversation and some believe, some don't, but God's at work. You, you can't, you cannot talk about Jesus if you're a Holy Spirit filled person and not have God at work. Another practical thing, obviously, that's a, for some folks, that's a big step. I would encourage your churches, uh, encourage you to encourage your churches to develop some kind of ministry for going out and learning how to do this. Another one is, is just beginning to ask the Lord, how, how do I bring Jesus into every sphere of my life? Um, 
Jesus is not your savior when you're at church and when you say grace and when you're at home. Uh, he's your savior when you're at work. He's your savior when you're at the movie theater. He's your savior in all spheres. And so beginning to rewire the way you think about all those spheres of your life, the way you think about your job, the way you think about how you do your job and why you do your job, there's a biblical worldview that fuels that. And if you go into your job, the thing that you spend the most amount of your time doing, and, and have it undergirded by Jesus's commissioning for you to be there with the light of the gospel as a Christian, I'll tell you, it changes everything. It really changes your whole perspective. Yeah. But it doesn't just happen if you take it for granted. You have to actually take time to pray over these things and, and submit them to the Lord. And that's where it's real powerful. When you begin to lay the different places of your life where God has opened up doorways for you to be, and you begin to actually lay them before the Lord, say, Jesus, look, you've called me to, I'm going to make something up here. You've called me to be a carpenter. Okay. How do I, how do I honor you with this? These are the relationships you've called me into. How do I honor you with this? And God, God is very good to answer those prayers. He, he yes. makes, makes it known. Yeah. God answers prayers. And the idea of laying things before him, laying people in your life before him. Hey, here's three people I can think of right now. You know, two of them I know aren't believers. One I'm not sure about. I'm going to pray for those three. And then I'm going to ask God to bring me two more or one more or to prepare me to be able to share the gospel. You know, evangelism and living a missional lifestyle, which is something we talk about at the Think Institute, getting equipped to live your missional lifestyle. It, it's not easy, but it does not have to be complicated. Prayer, care, share. Pray for the lost, care for the lost, share the gospel with them. Never divorce those three. If you, if you gotta do one, share, but make sure you've been praying. Right? <laughs> All right. Uh, if you got to do two, pray and share. Uh, never neglect prayer. Uh, I know you don't, don't call me on that, Rafe. You, we need to be praying at all times. Right. And then, but what I'm saying is, uh, when you're, when you don't feel like you have to earn the right to share the gospel, Jesus has given you the right to do that, hmm. but do it in a way, do it in a way that's loving, that's going to speak their language and let the Lord work the results out according to his plan. He's going to do it. So yeah. any, any further thoughts, man? Oh, no, man. I could sit and talk with this forever. But my, my heart with today's episode is that whoever listens to this, whether live or whether later on, um, I hope your heart is shaped. And, and, and just I, I hope that you think when, when you think about the work uh, that God's called you to, you think about why we do apologetics, why we do evangelism, how we think about worldview, man, it's, it's, it's rooted in the love of Christ for people. That's it. That's it. That, that the pastoral heart I have is that as many people as possible would get to know the goodness and the greatness of Jesus the way I have. And, and if this fosters conversation in a meaningful place, in a meaningful way for others to engage and to multiply our work, right? It's one thing for one person to go out, but if multiple people are all going out with the same love well the kingdom just keeps growing exponentially at that point so that's the that's the passion and the heart behind it amen dude all right well get more great content from pastor rafe by going to rafechenery.com connect with the think institute simply by going to thethink.institute subscribe to the think podcast on all major podcast catcher apps and if you wouldn't mind 
leaving us a five-star rating and review, an honest five-star rating and review. Don't lie for our behalf, but if you like it, give us a review, give us a rating. I tell you what, it really helps us out. If you're watching on YouTube, share this video on Twitter, like, subscribe to the channel, make sure you hit that bell. And if you're watching on Facebook, please help us get the word out. Most of our interaction does come from Facebook. So share this around, uh, share it on your, you know, in your group. If, if there's someone that you um, have been talking with about how do we get more motivated for evangelism, we want this video to be a resource for you. So we certainly hope that you've heard something helpful. This of course is not goodbye. It's just a little pit stop along the way of your spiritual journey. And until next time, we hope it made you think.